Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I'm Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who share how meditation and mindfulness practices change our lives. Our podcast is brought to you by Meditation Studio, Apple's pick as one of the 10 best apps of the year. Why download the app? Because life is messy. We get stressed, anxious, have trouble sleeping, work too hard, feel overwhelmed, we deal with conflict, our hearts get broken, we worry about the state of the world, we meditate because we're human. Our app gives you more than 200 meditations from 30 leading teachers. It helps a lot. And your one-time purchase of the app helps to keep our podcast going. Give it a try. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We love having you with us. Today, I interview the beautiful Wade Brill. Wade survived cancer seven years ago when she was 21 years old. Her mom passed away from cancer two months after Wade's diagnosis. Throughout this incredibly challenging time, Wade taught herself mindfulness meditation using one of her mom's favorite books, Wherever You Go, There You Are, by John Kabat-Zinn. She shares how her journey inspired her to look at life differently, to appreciate each moment, and to know that your life can change quickly. So best to live it as fully as possible right now. Here's Wade's story. Wade, I'm so happy to have you on Untangle today. I'm going to thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, you have such a great story. And I want to share a little bit about it today. You survived cancer at the age of 21. And a lot of other things were going on for you around that same time. Why don't we just start there and tell me what that was like for you? Yeah. So I was studying abroad. I was in college. It was my junior year and I was studying abroad in Argentina. And when I was studying abroad, I found out that I had a type of cancer. How did you find that out? You just, you were traveling and you didn't feel well or? Well, my sister had the same type of cancer I was diagnosed with as well four years prior to my diagnosis. So I found a swollen lymph node in on like the right side of my neck while I was studying abroad. And I didn't really know what it was. I thought maybe like I had pulled something at the gym and it just kind of was bothering me. And so I was just watching it and trying to enjoy my life, you know, abroad. And it kind of started to get more painful and it started to grow and I could start to see it in the mirror. And I went to the doctor, luckily, you know, I travel insurance. I went to the doctor in Argentina and Buenos Aires and, and through like many appointments and Spanglish back and forth, they decided that based off of my family history and based off of an MRI that I got down there, uh, that showed that I had more lymph nodes, swollen lymph nodes in my chest, that I should probably go back home to New York city to get a biopsy on this lymph node. Mm. And I remember the day so clearly, I like ran back to my homestay and, you know, jumped on Skype, luckily for technology at that time and tried to get my sister and my mom and told them what was going on. And they booked me a flight the next day home. And I left half of my stuff in Buenos Aires at my homestay thinking, okay, I'll be back in a few weeks. I'm just going to go home, have a biopsy. They're going to show it's nothing because the chances of you know, my sister and I having the same type of cancer is just ridiculous. So left half of my stuff, got on the plane and went back to New York and 
had a biopsy and a few weeks later, they showed that I did indeed have stage 2A of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And about two or three weeks after that, I began my six month chemotherapy journey. Mm. So it was this complete life interruption, whiplash motion that threw me into a whole new dimension. And your mom was sick at the same time? Yeah. So my mom at the time had been battling leukemia for about 10 years at that moment. And she had done a stem cell transplant the summer before. And so about two months into my chemotherapy journey, my mother ended up having complications with her leukemia and suddenly passed away while we were actually being treated in the same hospital. Hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So sorry. That's so heartbreaking. Even still to this day, I'm kind of like, how did that all really happen? Do you remember how you survived, how you coped emotionally? Yeah. So when I got back to New York, when I, before I started chemo, I remember feeling extremely anxious and not only anxious of you know, what was going on with my own health, but just like the pulse of New York City just Mm -hmm. was contributing to my anxiety as well. And I said to my mom, I want to start meditating again and knew that that was really a tool that was going to help me stay grounded in, in all of this. And then when my mom, she wanted to support that and she's been a big meditator. And so she passed me a book called Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn. This was like one of her favorite books that taught her a lot about meditation. And so when she was in the ICU unit and she was about to pass, and I really came back to this book as a way to ground myself in my meditation practice and also ground myself in her words, kind of use this book as if she was speaking to me and supporting me. That's so beautiful. Do you remember, so so you read the book and you taught yourself how to meditate or you said meditate again? Yeah. Uh, So had you learned meditation as a child because your mom was a good meditator? Yeah, I was definitely familiar with it growing up. My mom was a big yogi and meditator, but in college I took a course and they taught us about meditation and I began a meditation practice to help me kind of manage the anxiety of stress, of test taking and managing all the papers. And that really was supportive. And then of course, when I went abroad, you know, I was not meditating. And so I knew it was a tool that had helped me in the past. And it was something I wanted to reground myself in during this moment of life. So I began kind of really reading this book and, and training myself through it as a practice of like just starting small and, and knowing that it was a daily ritual for myself that really just kept me sane. Mm. What was your process? Did, were you, you were reading the book every day, you were following the meditations. I mean, did you sort of recall the experience of that? And, and you started doing that before your mom passed and while you were beginning your chemo treatments? Yeah. So I had started my meditation practice right when I got back to New York City. And then even more probably consistent after my mom passed. And it looked like really 
every morning, first thing I did was go to my meditation spot right by our window that overlooked Central Park North and sat down and just breathed and connected to my body and really focused on sending my cells and especially my cancer cells, love and positivity and strength. And then allow that energy to flow into my body and then also exhale that energy out into my world, into my environment. And that helped create this inner strength for myself that really allowed myself to feel grounded. I remember feeling like I was in this kind of white bubble of protection. Mm. That I was really healing on the inside as I was breathing and slowing down and also being able to even slow down the pace of New York, kind of with my breath, with my own interaction, with my steps. It was life-changing and and healing. Mm. Can you even imagine like if you hadn't started that practice and you were going through all of that, you know, that challenging time, can you even imagine what that would have been like for you? Oh my God, no. I would really say like meditation was the best medicine I could have ever given myself and continue to still give myself because I know it is really that powerful. Doctors gave me anxiety medicine and, you know, asked if I wanted anti-depression medicine because of losing my mom. And I was like, no, like all that medicine made me feel weird, foggy, and like disconnected from life. And Mm. meditation really just helped me feel more connected to life, more connected to the pain, to the sadness, to the healing process. I was just able to like really show up to it and not try to hide it or cut it out, but really like be and breathe through it. I love what you're saying because we've had a lot of people on the show who have talked about this like idea of feeling fully alive, which Mm. means we don't stuff down our emotions. We don't try not to feel sad or not to feel angry, but we fully feel our feelings and we're courageous about feeling our feelings. And it sounds like that's really, you were so young. I mean, you were 21 and you must've had some sort of, I always say like old soulness, but there must've been something. And maybe it was the trauma of everything that was going on that kind of brought you to the practice and and had you commit and stay with the practice, which is often hard to do for people that aren't suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it all really taught me just to connect to myself. You know, I think, I think there was no other way for me. Mm -hmm. I remember when I really, when I was like, mom, I need to start meditating. Like it just came to me. And I really listened to the fact that my mental, soulful, emotional self really needed that tool. And it was more than, you know, going to a yoga class or working out. It was really this like deep practice, spiritual and healing practice for myself and a moment to, to really create trust with my body at a time in my life where my body and I were kind of at odds with one another of, you know, losing my hair and wondering what was going on inside of my cells. And, and so in order to not feel like I'm being an enemy with myself, I really wanted to work on healing and creating that trust. When you were diagnosed and you were going through chemo before you started meditating, were you angry when you say, you know, you sort of wanted to regain trust and Mm. love yourself and love your body? And 
was it a feeling of like anger and resisting, you know, cause often we talk about in meditation that with pain or with any kind of suffering, the resisting almost creates more suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was angry. I know I was deeply upset. And I think, I mean, I probably was angry. I think there was a lot of, you know, why me? Why at this point in my life when I was studying abroad and having the best time? There's a lot of questioning. I think it was, it was just why. And then it became really clear to me that if I didn't get diagnosed with cancer and have to come home early, and if I didn't listen to my body and listen to, you know, that lymph node that was poking out, then I would have never seen my mom before she passed away. Right. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. She, she passed two months after you came home and yeah. started chemo and you would never, isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Oh gosh, and I, I know. And I get chills every time I think about that too. And that's really where that essence of trust came back in alignment for myself was, you know, trusting that I got cancer for a reason and I'm also surviving for a reason. And my mom, her time came and mm-hmm. really just trusting the whole flow of life and right, not resisting it, but mm-hmm. being with that experience of the pain. Do you have, you know, you talk about the flow of life and death. Do you have a understanding of life and death that is different now than you had before? small experience, do you think? Oh my God, for sure. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful question. And I feel really sad, but also very grateful that I have that perspective. I'm so young to not only experience a life-threatening circumstance with my own life, but with my sister, when she was going through cancer and with my mom passing away from cancer. And this just continues to teach me how short life is and how precious our actual time being on this earth is and breathing and and being able to show up and actually enjoy it is fully living to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me really appreciate all those moments. And anytime I realize I start to get bogged down by the little things, I come back to really the enjoyment where can I enjoy in life? Um, where's the, the beauty in life and how grateful I am to really be, be in it. In the moment where you're feeling like you're the little stuff is getting to you now, mm-hmm. if you take it away from sort of the conceptual, you know, you feel grateful or you try to look and see what joy is right in front of you. What specifically are you doing that you think might be helpful to share with other people who could maybe practice some of these tools that you have learned. Mm, Yeah. Well, I think when I get caught up in the, you know, what's wrong, what's not working conversation, it feels like a spiral. That's just like kind of pulling me down to the earth and closing off my thinking and my vision and whether it becomes like victim thinking or even anger. And when I get caught into that spiral, I start to recognize the spiral first of, oh, these thoughts feel heavy and these thoughts feel toxic. And I, oh, I notice I'm racing in this direction. And then I take a moment to pause and allow myself not to run down that rabbit hole and think about, okay, what is working? What is right? I ask myself, you know, what is the bigger vision? What is the bigger goal? Where is there a win-win? 
And so just asking myself to shift my mindset, to focus on, you know, where there is more, it feels more awakening. I then get to come back to the present moment and see where there's like more purpose to things versus being pulled into the negativity of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so, you know, we all get pulled into the negativity. It's just that I think some of us get stuck there and some of us have this tool that helps us be able to kind of be with that, but shift out of it. Mm-hmm. Some of these other skillful techniques. So how has all of the, you know, this experience, and you're still very young, this hasn't been that long ago that all of this happened. How has this influenced, you know, what you're doing in the world now? Yes, it's been about seven years since I finished chemo. And once I completed chemo, I finished college and then said, get me right back down to Argentina. You know, (laughs) <laughs> to get your stuff, pick up your, your stuff that you left there. <laughs> Luckily, I had a friend bring bring my other suitcase home. Okay, but <laughs> but I felt like I had uncompleted business down there. I felt like you know that piece of life got taken away from me, and I always wanted to go back and and finish reliving that chapter. And so I moved down there and was teaching meditation and Pilates to mostly the expat crew, and ended up meeting the love of my life down there who actually happened to be from Seattle and brought us back to Seattle a few years later. And when I was teaching Pilates and meditation, I was working with people one-on-one a lot where they started to open up. And I had these skills and tools of how to help people feel, you know, physically strong and working on their mindfulness muscles. But I was craving more tools of how to help them emotionally and mentally. And so I was kind of researching my next steps and discovered life coaching. And it felt like the perfect fit. And so when we moved to Seattle a few years ago, I went to coaching school and became a certified professional coach. And now I have a coaching business where I get to support women making themselves a priority in their life and fully living. Wow. So will you talk a little bit about some of the tools that you use in your one-on-one coaching program to help people? You know, I guess I'm curious about what types of challenges people come to you with and then mm-hmm. what types of tools and techniques do you use to help them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. A lot of my clients are young professionals, anywhere from the ages of you know 24 to 40. And usually something happens in their life. They have a wake up call or they're switching jobs or change cities or maybe have a new relationship or are just moving in with a partner or got married or just had a bad breakup. And it's this moment in life where people want to pause and realize like they're not necessarily happy or they're not feeling confident or life is feeling really overwhelming. And it's a moment where they get to make themselves a priority. And so when I work with my clients, it's really a chance for them to like be introspective, right? We spend so much of our lives being on the outside that unless you really are intentional and into this work, it's really hard for people to carve out space 
and a place for them to dive in and do a lot of the inner work. And so what I help my clients with is essentially strengthening their mindfulness muscles. They're growing awareness of their life, of the actions and the choices they make and how they can be more awake and more intentional in everything that they do for themselves, of how they treat themselves, their self-talk to how they feed themselves and what energy they surround themselves with, you know, and how they move and be in their bodies. And do you combine, I know you're also, a, you've done Pilates mm-hmm. training and are you in your coaching practice, are you combining physical with the, you know, emotional and mental or are you, are those kind of two separate things for you? They're two separate things, but they definitely overlap mm-hmm. where I support my clients, you know, if they want a Pilates routine, but I always use the body in coaching. Um, as a barometer for them to gain awareness. So, you know, where are they feeling that emotion in their body? Or, you know, where can they tap into their values in their bodies? Because luckily they have their body wherever they go. And it's a moment where they can start to feel and connect and be empowered by themselves. Mm -hmm. I think you wrote a blog about the intersection of play and productivity in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm personally curious about that because I often don't feel I have enough play in my mm-hmm. life. Like how mm-hmm. do you advise people to have that sort of balance between let's say work and play? Yeah. So I wrote this blog and it was for my newsletter last month, right? As we are celebrating summer, what, you know, time where we get to play the, the days are longer and lighter And yet what happens is that a lot of clients who, when they play, they feel guilty because they're then not being productive, right? Or if they're being productive inside on a beautiful day, they're feeling guilty that they're not outside playing or having fun. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so we kind of trap ourselves in these like very linear thinking and like boxy frameworks where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm doing work. So this is productive, right? Or... I'm outside and hanging out with friends and that means it's only play, right? But there's a way that there can be a both and it doesn't have to be an either or. And so for instance, like I've been working on gardening as making gardening a productive and playful tool for myself where, you know, I'm putting love into the house and making the garden look beautiful and healthy and growing things. But instead of it feeling like a chore, because like, why do I want to be doing a chore on my weekends, right? I want to make it also feel playful and fun. And so there's a question of asking yourself, like, just how can I add some more play to this? And, you know, brainstorming, you know, is that listening to music? Is that inviting friends over to come hang out while you do that? Is it talking on the phone with someone, listening to a podcast while you're doing it? having just like a moment of brainstorm and creativity to think about where can you have the both and in life with certain areas where it doesn't just have to feel like a box of it's only productive or it's only play. And this has helped. I know a lot of clients with washing dishes, for instance, you know, where it becomes a purely a chore or something to do, be productive in the household to clean up. But it's like, how can you have fun with that? How can you add some play to that so that you actually like enjoy the process versus it feeling super daunting or even thinking about 
how can you go outside and, and play and also be productive, whether that's, you know, sitting just outside in the sun with your laptop while you do some emails or taking a break during your day and taking a conference call as you take a walk in the park. There's so many ways that you can add the both and into life. I really like what you're saying. And I think sometimes it's about trusting the fact that when you do something else, it will maybe help you overall. And I think that's what, you know, people that have never meditated feel like it's not a good use of time to just sit. (laughs) But we know, I mean, those of us that do meditate and have spent many, you know, years and hours Mm -hmm. meditating Mm -hmm. know that it has a huge positive impact and benefit. So I think that's a little bit like play too. You know, I Mm -hmm. think doing these things probably comes back to nourish you in a much more constructive way. Yes. Yeah. I love that you're connecting that. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And, and, you know, something I I tell my clients, especially when they're wanting to learn how to meditate is that when you're meditating, you're building these muscles. And when you go to the gym, for instance, let's say you take a class and afterwards, oh, you're like, oh, I feel my thighs burning, or, you know, I feel like I really worked my biceps here. But when you're practicing meditation, you know, even if you're just doing it five minutes, it's hard for beginners to quote unquote, feel something, right? Right. Yes. So they don't get that immediate feedback to say like, oh, I like just was productive, right? Because when you go to the gym and you feel your muscles burn, you think, oh, I did something. I feel good about myself because I feel productive. But when you're meditating, you don't necessarily get that immediate feedback it's hard to register that like, oh, I'm, I'm being productive right now and I'm doing something good for myself. I think just being aware of the fact that you're building this like imaginary muscle that you don't know when you're going to feel it. But once you start to feel it, you're then like addicted to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I like the way that you say, you know, you're really building that muscle and you don't, it's the same really when you're working out. I mean, you might feel better right after you do a workout, but you don't see muscles bulging after your six pack isn't coming after one workout. And exactly. Now you do build those mindfulness muscles over time. Will you talk a little bit about your summer of self-care program? Yeah. Summer of Self-Care is a really fun group coaching program that I do once a year over the summer. And it's a collection of ladies. They apply to it. So I get to kind of handpick the group and make sure that it's you know small enough so they can get intimate enough. And it is focused on helping women practice self-care to learn that practicing self-care is not selfish, but that it's smart. And we go over what I've designed as my mindful hand of self-care. So we talk about self-talk, you know, how we're fueling ourselves, um, how we're using and, and being in our body, what energy we surround ourselves with. So from people to thinking about the clutter in our house and even like colors and lighting, and then into how do we renew and restore our energy. So it's this holistic self-care program that just gets to start to spark and create awareness for women of how they are treating themselves and being in themselves, especially over the summer. You know, people ask me like, why do you do this program over the summer? And I really want to emphasize, right? Because like a lot of the times we'll see programs being advertised for, you know, beach body or lose the 10 pounds for bikini weather and, you know, that kind of outward 
quote unquote self-care, but I really am passionate about the inner self-care and that it's really comes from a holistic space. So I want women to know that that's a possibility that, you know, to really feel their best from the inside out is more sustaining and lasting and it's proactive, you know, versus reactive to life. I'm so happy you're doing that because I think it's such important work. Some of the quotes on your website, like Wade has helped me break down the reasons why I've been blocked. Wade gave me the keys to ignite changes in my life, both small and big that have a lasting impact. Wade helped me rediscover myself and encouraged me to be present in each and every moment. It's just the impact that you're having is is really quite clear. Do you have any favorite books or quotes or inspirational stories that you'd like to share with us? Well, definitely one of my favorite books that I go back to over and over again is Wherever You Go, There You Are by yep. John Kabat-Zinn. So of course, definitely is like always kind of by my bed stand. And then one of my favorite quotes that I love, that's something I learned in my coaching school by IPAC. It's a quote that says, life is a perfect adventure a game that cannot be won or lost, but only played. Hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. And it just really always supports me because it realizes like life is an adventure, right? There's never a quote unquote right way to play, to play the game of life. And it allows me to always think of possibilities and where can you just go out and live and knowing that, you know, there's no wrong and it's only about life and and being present in it. Yeah. Wow. That is so beautiful. I cannot even imagine you're so young now and you're so wise. I cannot even imagine talking to you in like five years. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, thank you. You are such a beautiful person. Thank you so much for sharing your inspiration and wisdom with us today. I'm so grateful. Oh, thank you so much, Patricia. I'm so, so grateful to be here and, and being connected to you and, and the Untangle podcast. So thank you. Thanks so much to Wade. What an inspiring story. You can check out her website and blogs at wadebrill.com. If you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to check out Meditation Studio in the App Store or on Google Play. We'll see you next time.